Well, if you want to come and grab a seat again, uh, we are going to uh, read the Bible together. And as I mentioned, this whole Other Guys series, we are in Romans 8. So if you want a Bible or you're looking at the Black Bible, that's on page 962. Uh, The words will also be on the screen behind me. We're looking at Romans 8, 31 to 39. Romans 8, 31 to 39. And we read the Bible, open the Bible here every single week because we believe the Bible is the Word of God and we work through passages because God's going to speak to us as we look at His Word together. But Romans 8, 31 to 39 says this. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not even spare his own son, but offered him up for for us all, how will he not also with him grant us everything? Who can bring accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He also is at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or anguish? or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. As it is written, because of you, we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than victorious through him who loved us. For I'm persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor present things, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor nor any other created thing, will have the power to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Guys, thank you so much for having me up here today. I don't know if you've got to say, but I hope that if you did, you would have me up here today. Um, it's exciting. It's so exciting to look at. How amazing is that passage too? That little, that little bit of text, those sentences that we read there, I just, I love them. They hit home for me in a huge way. And I guess that's the aim of today is that they would hit home for you also, that you'd be able to encounter God today. Um, welcome if you're new. Welcome if church isn't your normal thing. I just want to say it's great to have you here. And my prayer is that you don't find this morning uncomfortable or strange um, but you really enjoy it. You feel loved here. You feel welcomed. Um, and I'd love to have you come back. and I'd love to see you again. Um, I, I'm, I'm so thankful. I'm thankful to be up here. And it is, it is due to some great men that we have. Quickly, who's been here for the all four of the weeks of Romans? Just me? Yeah. Nice. Awesome. Quite a few. How amazing has it been? Am I right? I have loved it. It's been in, incredible. Um, just seeing those guys get up, and I, I know them, and I love them, um, and they're amazing dudes. And, and I think that's what's it for me, is just, is just the quality, the quality and the character of the guys who have been up in the last few weeks. Um, just says it all. Um, and of course, I know Faf for a lot longer, and he kicked us off in this series, and I've got a lot more to say, but this isn't a 21st speech, so I will drop it. But I love him, which is cool. But the fact that we're up here all is because of these pastors that we have. Gav and Jez, uh, these two men, are, they're amazing. They're incredible men. And, and I think it's just purely because they believe, they believe in the next generation. They believe in others other than themselves coming along and, and just sharing from this text, sharing from the word. 
Uh, and I think that's just, it would mean so much. I can imagine for them, it would, they, love, they love this family to bits. They love this church to bits. And, and to just have anyone jump up here and, and say whatever would, would mean so much to them. And I think they would be so careful about it. Um, it sounds like I'm just making myself sound good here. <laughs> I'm going to be careful. But I'm so thankful for these guys. And I want to, I'm not about praising man, but I'm about giving honor where honor is due. And that is due. They're amazing guys. So, um, I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to pray that when we look into this, that we really do walk away with what God wants to say. Um, I've been preparing this and looking at the words. And I've got a lot of thoughts. I've got a lot of passion behind it. But it's, it's close to pointless if it isn't what God wants to say. And so I'm going to ask God that he would come, that he'd encounter, that he'd meet with us now and show us what he wants to show us. Father, I thank you so much for who you are. God, I thank you that you love us. Thank you that you care about us, God. And I thank you, Father, that we, there are words in, in, in the book, in the Bible, in which you've given humanity, God, that just speak about how in love with humanity you are and how you will never let us go. God, and I just ask that that would be the story, that would be the anthem of our lives, that we would be people who hold on to and cling on to the fact that you love us and that you're never going to leave us. Thank you for this, Jesus. Your love is inseparable. Your love conquers all. uh, And we get to sing and we get to talk about that. And I pray that we do for the rest of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, I wonder for you, have you ever dealt with people that like, they, they speak through rhetorical questions all the time. Like, it's quite annoying, and I've had some serious doses of it. But uh, these type of people that, they've just got a comment here and there, but really they're not, they're not asking a question, and hence that's what a rhetorical question is. It doesn't need an answer. It's, an answer it's, a, it's a question where the answer's obvious. And, and I just want to take you into my life a bit and share a bit of a story of just how I've experienced this. And this one's not so positive. But I worked for a, for a company, which I'm not actually going to name, but a company for roughly a year as a graphic designer. And it was, it was a bit of a slog. It was hard work. And every week I'd go there, and one of the systems or one of the patterns he set up, the boss that is, was that each designer would, on Friday, they'd print out all the work they've done and they'd put it on, they'd put it on his desk. And he would assess it over the weekend because he came in on the weekends, apparently, apparently. And he'd, he'd let you know on Monday. Right? And so it took me a few weeks to work out or to find out at least that none of the other designers were doing it, just me. So it actually wasn't a request of all the designers. It's just, so anyway, I was wary of this. And it, I printed out my designs. I put them, put them on his desk one Friday and on Monday, he'd come in, and he'd come in around 11 o'clock. He'd just come in for when he had a meeting, pretty much. And he'd come in, he'd head straight into his office, and then his next stop was the boardroom. And he'd head into his office, he'd pick up the paper. Right? This is it. Oh, it, it, was, yeah, it wasn't funny at first, but it, I started to laugh about it. Um, and he'd have this paper, and he'd just walk towards the boardroom. I'd be there on his, on his left, and he'd just say, James, do you really think I like this? And just keep walking. I like quite a hard question. <laughs> and I knew that like, he, wasn't, he wasn't waiting for an answer. He wasn't waiting for me to say, oh, yes, no, yes. I, he didn't care. He, just, he had a question, and he was making a statement with it, and the answer was obvious. Of course he didn't. Of course he didn't. I liked it. I thought it was great. <laughs> I've done some really good stuff. Anyway, so he, 
But yeah, he'd ask this without fail every Monday. He'd be like, James, do you really think I like this? And there were a few, few, few weeks, a few Mondays that I'd try and answer him, and I'd be like, no, you don't. And he'd be like, you're exactly right, and keep walking. <laughs> or there'd be times when I'm like, maybe, you know, you will next week, I think I said at one point. <laughs> and he was like, well, I want it now. So anyway, the answers were pretty short, um, and it was pointless that I tried to answer this because I knew what he thought. I knew what the answer was. And, and I want to know, is that the same for you? Have you had people ask these sort of questions? And not always are they negative, like this experience was. Sometimes they're positive. Sometimes it's, do you know I love you? You know, and it's just quite a nice thing. And of course, of course I do. <laughs> I know you love me. Um, but it's one of those answers that, again, it's obvious and it's clear, uh, which is cool. And I guess that's what I want to look at today is I think there's a couple of questions that Paul is asking in Romans 8, 31 through 39. And these questions have answers that are obvious. These questions don't actually need an answer. I want you to come with me. Sorry, Jimmy, I haven't given you any cues for this, but this is your cue now. Um, in verse 31, sorry, these are, so great, thanks, Jimmy, you're cueing me now. These are the things I'm going to look at today is these three points. Who is trying? Who is dying? And where does, le- that, where does that leave me? So quite simple. I want to keep it brief, um, but I've got a tendency not to. Um, but that's where I want to go with it. Quickly, who is trying? Have a look with me. Verse 31 through to 35. There's four questions there. The first one is, if God is for us, who can be against us? The second one is, who can bring an accusation against God's elect? In other words, who can bring an accusation against those who are saved? And then the third one is, who is the one who condemns? In other words, who can determine who is saved or isn't saved? Who can call that? And the fourth one, which is what we're going to hang on a lot of today, is who can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus or the love of God that he has for us? And I think as I look at these, as I look at these things, I, I wonder, do I believe them? And do I actually know the answer? I think I read these and I think, I think I almost try and answer it myself, whereas I know that the point is, who, if God is for us, who can be against us? No one. If who can bring accusation against God's elect? Who can bring accusation against those who are saved? No one. Who is the one who condemns? Who determines who's saved or not? No one but God. And the final question, who can separate us from the love of Christ? And again, the answer is no one. The answer is no one. And I think what's interesting in these four questions is they start with who. Every time, who can bring accusation? Who is against us? Who condemns? Who is the one who condemns and who can separate? And I just thought, I tried to break it down. I thought, well, in my life, who are the people that, that try for these things? Who are the people in my life that do, maybe cause me to doubt what I believe or maybe cause me to question? I want to just say, they're good. These people, these questions are good. And that's what we want as Christians. And if you're a Christian here today, uh, that's what you want. You want to be challenged on what you believe. And I think asking these questions of who, I, I thought, well, I don't think I actually have anyone. You know, I'm not persecuted. I'm not attacked for what I believe. My um, people around me love me. The questions or the conversations I have with them, they're friendly. They're amazing, and they're happy that I'm a Christian, and they're happy that that's my decision and that's my path, and they're happy for me to even express to them that, you know, I think this is important for you too. 
So I think that doesn't really hit home for me as much because I'm there going, well, of course, no one. That's clear. I don't feel that prominently. I don't feel that personally. But then for a second you might go, well, maybe it's not a who. Maybe it's a what. Maybe it's not someone who is trying to, I don't know, cause you to doubt or, or, or cause you to think maybe, you know, maybe God doesn't love you. Maybe it's not a who. Maybe it is a what. And you might look at your situation. You might look at your, your finances or your partner or your life goals or your job and you might look at these things and go, but they're, they're terrible. It's hard. You know, the relationships I have, they're strained. They're problematic. The job I have, it's a slog or it's boring or, you know, there's times when I really just don't want to be there at all. You know, you might look at that, you might look at your finances and go, I've got absolutely nothing and I'm trying to plan for this, I'm trying to save for this, but realistically this isn't going to happen. You might look at some of these things and go, God, where, where are you? How are you here? How do you care about my life when this is what it is? You know, and I find that beautiful because Paul Paul knows that. Whilst Paul is speaking to a church in Rome 1,900 years ago, what I find amazing is that I do believe God is also speaking to us now, today. And I think what he's saying to us is, in fact, despite the people you have in your life, it is no surprise. Despite the situation or the circumstance that you're in, it's no surprise. Um, And in fact, God is in control of this. And what he wants to say is there's nothing that's too hard There is nothing that's too tough that can separate you from the love that I have for you. There is nothing that can separate me from the love I have for you. And I think this is amazing, and it hits home, and it's beautiful for us. My second point is, who is dying? I think it's all right and well for me to jump up here and say, nothing can, nothing can. Your circumstance, don't worry. The people around you, don't worry. Nothing can. You're good. You're cleared. But I think walking away without asking well, how are you sure of that? Would be silly. And I want you to question that. Why am I sure of that? And I think that's for anyone who claims to follow, follow God and follow Jesus today. How, how can we be sure that God's love is for all of us and is inseparable? I think it comes down to this. We see it in sentence 32. It says, If God is for us, who can be against us? He did not even spare his own son, but offered him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? That's beautiful. That's amazing. I love that. He did not even spare his own son, but offered. And I tried to think that through a bit, and I thought, so what would that look like? And it, probably would, it would look, well, this is, this is the image I had in my head, is that the Father is talking to the Holy Spirit, right? they're in heaven, and they're talking, and, and the Father's like, listen, humanity's a mess. I love them to bits, but, but there's chaos, there's calamity, there's brokenness, there's confusion. They don't even know who I am. They're worshipping things on earth, thinking that that is their God. And, and it's almost like the Holy Spirit would re- respond and say, well, you know, I guess like we've got, you know, we've got Jesus. He's mopping the floors of heaven. Like, do we really need him? Perhaps we could just send, you know, maybe let's just send Jesus. That'll do. It's fine. It's not a loss to us. And that's just that idea of sparing Jesus. But Paul makes it clear to say here that it's not just sparing, but offered. God didn't just spare Jesus. He offered Jesus. And I think that's a beautiful and a powerful distinction to just see that this 
right there and then, there was this, there was this connection and out of their love, out of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and their, their love for us and their love for one another, they, God made this decision. And he said, you know what, I've, I've got to step into this. I've got to step into this world. I've got to step into this chaos. And Jesus, I am going to send you. You know, and, and you are going to be the one who comes to this world. And yes, you will live just over 30 years and it's going to be painful. It's going to be costly. It's going to be hard. You're going to, you're going to die the most painful death known to man at that time. You're going to get mocked. You're going to get spat on. But the point is, I want you to do this because I, I love humanity. Because I love humanity. And I just find that so beautiful and it hits home so much for me that, that Jesus came for that one reason and for that one purpose. And that we would be able to see God's love for us. And you know, when Jesus died, he rose again. Now that's, that's where it all hangs for us as Christians. And we see that there because Paul, also the same writer of this book of Romans, he, he says in another letter to the church of Corinth, he says, if, if Christ wasn't raised from the dead, we are Christians, he's talking about, most to be pitied. And it's a really interesting one that he says there. If Christ hasn't risen from the dead, then our preaching is useless, and so is our faith. It's a huge one, and I hope that rattles you for a second there. More than that, we are found to be false witnesses of God. This is enormous words. If the Bible was created merely to just prove a point and we've constructed it around all the beautiful selling points of following Jesus, then this wouldn't be in here. You know, but that's not. That's not what God does and that's not what Paul has here. And it goes on to say, the hope we have in Jesus, if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, the hope we have in Jesus is only for this life and we are most to be pitied. And so I want to challenge you today. Is your faith standing on the fact that Jesus rose from the dead? Because God's love for us is found purely there. is found in the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. He conquered the grave. And now he can comfortably say and declare to us today that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. And I find that beautiful. I, found that, I find that amazing. I am, um, as Kev said before, I'm marrying this amazing girl in April next year um, called Anna. And she is, I mean, she's a babe, and I love her. I love her. Um, but it's been so cool over the last little while to just, to look at what do we want, what do we want a wedding to look like, to think through all these things, to, to ask each other, like, what's important, what's your value on this, and why, and, and there's questions in there that will affect the rest of our lives, I'm sure. But as we plan for this, it's, it's easy to see that, the everything of this world can really, we can really get lost and, and, and encapsulated by it. And especially as we plan a wedding, we can go, we can have everything we want for this wedding if we just give two or three hundred thousand dollars. But that's regardless, we're not going to, I'll try. Um, but if we give everything, we can have everything, is this idea in this world. And I think, I think the, I thought about it for a bit. If you come with me to verse, to sentence 32, 34 and 36. Says to, Paul says to us, 
Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He is also at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. And we get this promise just above where we read before. He did not even spare his own son, but offered him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? And so I thought, I thought for a second, like, what does everything mean? What is every, how would we define everything? I think I'd read that and go, you know what? Everything could be whatever I want it to be. It can be a nice a nice wedding. It can be a nice life. It can be a healthy life. That's the everything that God is promising to grant me. That's the everything God's promising to give me. It could be a life where there's, there's no pain, that it's healthy, that it's easy, that I, you know, that I have a big house, that I have a nice family. And then I just thought for a second, if I were to ask God what he would define everything to be, I think I got a bit, I got a bit rattled with that. And I thought, God, what would you define everything to be? And I think for God to step, I don't know, perhaps to look at our world and, and, and grab someone from the other side of the world and bring them next to you and go, yes, that's the everything you need. Or, 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 to, or to step in and to construct four walls, uh, which to him is quite small to us, is a big house, a large house, you know, and think that that's everything. I think that's kind of silly. I think that's crazy that I would look at that and think that that is everything. But I do. I believe that every day. And it's sad that I go on believing that the everything God has in store is something of this world. You know, and I think what's amazing is if you were to ask God, what would you define everything to be? For God to define everything to be something outside of, him, out of, outside of himself would be a problem. It would almost be saying that God isn't God. If he isn't everything, then, then we shouldn't be following God. We should be following this everything that God offers or that God suggests. So I think what's amazing is the everything is himself. The everything is himself. So how will he not grant us everything? He's granted us everything in Jesus and he will grant us everything by giving him Jesus, by giving us the Holy Spirit, by giving us God for the rest of the days, for the rest of our life. God is the everything. And I guess... Well, where, 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 does, where does that leave us? What does that mean for us? Okay, great that God is everything and we get to live the rest of our lives with him, but where does that leave us? And it keeps going. It says there in 37, next slide if you can, Jimmy, 37, 38, to, all the way through. We're told that no, In all things, let's start with the verse before. How about that? As, as it is written, because of you, we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all things, we are more than victorious through him who loved us. I don't know what you think when you read, as it is written, because of you, we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. But I think it's quite, it's quite intense. Um, it's quite scary even. Um, and it comes from this psalm. Paul quotes this psalm, Psalm 44. And it reads, Because of you we were slain all day long, and you is God. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. Wake up, Lord. Why are you sleeping? Get up. Don't reject us forever. Why do you hide? And forget our affliction and our oppression. For we have, sat, we have sunk down to the dust, and our bodies cling to the ground. 
let me try this more. Um, and so, yeah, he references this psalm, Psalm 44. And practically there's this psalm. I love, you know why I love psalms? It's because they sound exactly like me. Right? Psalms show the rawness of us as humans and us as a people and our relationship with God. I can recall numerous times when I've cried out, where the heck are you, God? Where are you? You've abandoned me. You've left me in this situation. This isn't right. This isn't what I love. And I guess that's exactly what they're doing here. They're saying, God, you've forgotten me. You've left us, God. You're not working for our good. You are not granting us everything. And Paul takes a cup from this psalm. And he puts it in here to show us that he understands what Rome is going through. And I think for us, that God's put this in here to show us that he understands what we're going through. You may feel like nothing is working, that nothing is going your way. You know, and Jesus makes sense of this from Psalm 44. When you feel slaughtered, the truth is actually Jesus was. Once, for us, for all. If you're walking through life feeling defeated... And forgotten, then know today, know that Jesus takes our pain. He takes our loss. He takes our, the death, in fact, that we deserve in order to declare you victorious. And I love this. It's beautiful and it's true. The truth because of Jesus is that his action on the cross covers us. And his action on the cross enables us, it frees us to stand victorious, to stand with him victorious. We don't need to be afraid. We don't need to be worried in our day because this is the truth that God's given to us. This is our position and not our practice. It's not what we need to earn. It's a position which God has already given us. This is our promise. This is our comfort and this is our certainty. This is ours. And come with me on on sentence 37. Paul says, 38, sorry. For I am persuaded that not even death or life Angels or rulers, things present or things to come, hostile powers, height or depth, or any other created thing will have the power to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is huge. This is amazing. This gives us assurance. This gives us hope. You may feel like your life doesn't line up, that you're not good at this, or you're not improving in your day-to-day or that you have no control of what you do, you're back here again, you're walking the same road and it feels tiring and overwhelming. And you're asking yourself, well, maybe you're asking yourself, do I really love Jesus? Do I really follow him? Because look at my actions, look at my life. Look at what I think each day. But you know what? Not even your thoughts can separate you from the love of God. And that is true today. This ever-flowing stream of love that God has for you. I love this last little bit, and John Piper makes it, he makes an illustration of this, of this from 37 through to 39, just so beautifully. It says, no, in all things we are more than victorious through him who loved us, for I am persuaded that not even death or life, angels or rulers, things present or things to come, hostile powers, height or depth or any other created thing will have the power to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. John Piper is, he's a, pastor and an amazing communicator and he explains this section and passage so well and what he says in it he says the question isn't does God love me or does God love you the question is can anything actually block 
the love that God has for you, the love that God has for, for me. And so he goes on and he paints this amazing picture, not literally, because I can't imagine this bastard being creative, but with his words, he paints an amazing picture of, of this stream, right? This, this flowing stream that is and that he defines as God's love, and it's strong, and it's powerful, and it's ever-flowing. And then, and then he goes through this, this verse. He goes through these, these sentences here and just takes something. So, for example, he takes death and he puts it, he puts it in, the, in the flow of this stream. And he, and he goes, can death block this love that is for us? And he says, no, not at all. In fact, death just becomes a force that moves with this flow. Death becomes something that is gain. And we see that here. We, we would say perhaps life or death can block us. You know, and God says to live is Christ. And to live in Christ is life to the full. And to die is gain. We see that in John 10 and Philippians 1, 21. We say, what about angels? What are they? What is this? And God says he will command his angels to guard you. All the days of your life, Psalm 91, 11. Maybe you, maybe you look and think, well, what about my past? I've done some things, and they're not good. What about my future? I'm not, looking, I'm not excited for my future. It's confusing. It's bleak. I can't trust that I'm going to do good for the rest of my life. And God says, I know the plans I have for you. They're plans for good and not disaster, to give you a future and a hope. Jeremiah 29, 11. You might keep going and say, what about height? What about depth? What about rulers, powers, or in fact, any other created thing for that matter? And God says, they exist by me and for me in Colossians 1, 16. And I want to read that one out because it's just so beautiful and it makes so much sense of what we're looking at here. For everything was created by him, created in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. And we have that hope, church. We've got this hope that nothing will have the power to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. The love of God that we see in the death and resurrection of Jesus on the cross. If you still doubt this and if you're still unsure, I'm going to pray for you in just a minute. And ask God to make sense of this and to ask God that he would really solidify this truth in your life. Quickly, I want to I invite the band to come up here. And I want to leave you with this. The truth of Romans 8, the truth at the end here is, is truth that sets us free. It's truth that we don't have to earn God's love for humanity. It was a decision by God to send Jesus. And anyone who calls on that name will be saved. People will question. People will try and intervene or to block or to separate you from being sure that God is here, that God is now, that God's love is ever flowing. But we don't need to fear. We don't need to be afraid. We know that we are loved. And that is secure and that is sure. Our response to go, our response from this is is to go into this world. Is to go into this world and start loving people. And to love people who who don't even love you back, is to love people who you might see on the outside and think, wow, they really don't make sense in my life, but they're the people God wants us to love, and they're the people who Jesus loved.
in your, our motivation for loving people is, is that God first loved us. We continue to love God because God, God also hasn't ever stopped and won't ever stop loving us. And as we love people, let's love them with the truth. Let's love them with his word and his message, which is that he has inseparable love for us, that his love cannot be broken, and it is forever. I really like this quote from Francis Chan. He says, he says, hell is the backdrop that reveals the profound and unbelievable grace of God. It brings to light the enormity of our sin and therefore portrays the undeserved favor of God in full color. And I think that's amazing. I look at that and I think, yeah, you know what? Hell is there because it shows that actually we, we are heading in that direction and that it, it, not in taking on Jesus and accepting what he's done for us, it's, it's hard and it's bleak. But you know what? Hell's there to just show that the grace of God is so beautiful. It brings to light the pain and the sin that we have in our life, but it doesn't leave us there. And, it, and ultimately, hell shows us that God has this, we have this favor from God that's undeserved and we see it in full color. We understand our sin by seeing the consequence of it and we understand God's love for us by seeing Jesus on the cross. Take a minute now. Have a sit. Have a think. Talk to God. Ask God to reveal himself. Ask God to make sense. Ask God to show you this never-ending love.